Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thinking Out Loud with Miss Sadie, my consistently inconsistent podcast. And uh, today, I'm going to go, actually, this is going to be a series, okay? So if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I have been sharing in my stories, commentary, and screenshots of the Twitter files, which are basically been covering the collusion between government agencies and Twitter, social media in general, plus like some COVID talk, some CIA talk, all kinds of things, okay? And I had been promising to do a breakdown, but... This is a very complex kind of complicated story with a lot of rabbit holes. And so I decided that instead of doing one big episode, I'm going to do several that are specific on the topics that are covered with each thread. Now, the difference between what I'm doing and the way it was released on Twitter is that some of the threads I am combining to kind of give a more chronological story to it and make it a little bit easier to follow because I found that some of the Twitter threads bounced back and forth and some of them provided information in one thread that would have been, I personally think, for me to follow much more easy if it had been provided in a previous thread. So that's the plan here. Bear with me. Of course, you can find any kind of references that I make for the Twitter files for dummies, which is what I'm calling it, on my substack at itsmissady.com. You'll have links to everything there, anything that I reference, including the links to the Twitter file threads that I am referencing for that particular article. So first, today, what are we covering? The Twitter files for dummies, part one. It's called visibility filtering, dummy. So Twitter's mission went from, quote, we believe real change starts with conversation to small elite group of people who decided the conversation. The Twitter files have been released at a slow drip on Twitter. Initially, I thought that the strategy was a good idea, but as time went by, I began to rethink my initial thoughts. In a time when people's attention span is short, it's hard to focus on like such a complex story when it's being released in bits and pieces. Eventually, with time, people who are not obsessively consuming news, like myself, begin to lose interest. And, and don't feel guilty. You're a normal person um, in this relationship that we have. I'm the weirdo that's constantly consuming news. And it can also make it a little difficult to see the big picture, especially when those bits and pieces are so dense with information. However, there are stories within the stories, and it is challenging to make such a complex story and a dense trove of information digestible. When the Twitter files first began dropping, many would essentially yawn and say, I don't know, Twitter censors content. Tell me something I didn't know. However, These people were premature in dismissing the Twitter files and reacted in what I would characterize as a defeatist manner. I understand that there was a temptation to shrug and say, yeah, tell me something I didn't know and go about your business. But that attitude guarantees government overreach and suppression of speech will definitely continue and no one will ever be held accountable. Before the release of the Twitter files, the censorship, how users were censored, who was requesting the censorship, and if Twitter collaborated with government agencies to censor users was speculated, but it was not known. There was no definitive evidence. And it was only until after several threads of the Twitter files were released that the extent of censorship and corruption was fully seen. 
When you pull back and look at the Twitter files as a whole, the bias of Twitter is blatant. For years, the left has cried, Twitter is a private company as a defense, a defense that I've always believed was BS. But considering the blatant collusion of Twitter and the federal government to silence free speech of U.S. citizens exposed by the Twitter files, there's no doubt that defense no longer has legs. Twitter became too happy to act as a de facto ministry of truth and assist the federal government with censoring the American people. The mainstream media is doing its best to bury the Twitter files, make excuses, and protect big tech and the federal government from accountability. Am I under some delusion that anything of substance will occur within our federal government to hold anyone accountable or new legislation? No, it's not likely. And any hearings that may come of it will be more or likely be more performative than anything else. When the corruption runs this deep, it's it'll take time to undo. Sadly, in time, another form will just come and take its place. It's the nature of humans. Will the government find another way to spy, censor, manipulate, and police its citizens? Of course. But that is no reason to be compliant and make it easier for them. It is our duty, in fact, to make it more difficult. This is why it's vital that we, as individuals, know what is happening. Because the more knowledge you have and that you're armed with, the more difficult you become to control. And that's how we make a change. So let's begin with Twitter's general practice of censoring and shadow banning, or what they like to call visibility filtering. We aren't shadow banning, we're just visibility filtering. Following the 2016 election, there was an increased speculation that Twitter was shadow banning accounts, primarily conservative or right-leaning accounts. But the speculation hit a fever pitch in 2018 after Trump posted a tweet bringing attention to concerns of shadow banning following a problem with accounts not being auto-suggested in search when people would search for a specific name. Conveniently, the problem appears to have impacted mainly conservative accounts. Trump's tweet said, Twitter, shadow banning in all caps, prominent Republicans, not good. We will look into this discriminatory and illegal practice at once, exclamation point, many complaints. Classic Trump tweet. Trump's tweet forced Twitter to respond to the speculated shadow banning. Vijaya Gade and Kevin, I can't pronounce these names. Anyways, they wrote a blog post addressing the question of shadow banning on Twitter. In the post, Gade defines, quote, what is shadow banning as Quote, deliberately making someone's content undiscoverable to everyone except the person who posted it, unbeknownst to the original poster. Standing on that narrow definition, Gade denies that Twitter is shadow banning. In a retweet of the blog post, she emphasizes that Twitter favoring, quote, one specific ideology or belief goes against everything we stand for. The alleged glitch of conservative accounts not appearing when searched, noticed limited visibility, and several other issues ultimately led to a congressional hearing in September 2018, where Jack Dorsey testified, and I quote, our policies and algorithms do not take into consideration any affiliation, philosophy, or viewpoint. It's called visibility filtering. As much as Gade tried to narrowly define shadow banning with the release of the Twitter files, it was evident Twitter was, in fact, shadow banning. Twitter simply rebranded it as visibility filtering. Visibility filtering included blocking searches, limited discoverability, and blocking accounts and posts from trends and hashtag searches without the user's knowledge. 
Prominent conservative accounts such as Dan Bongino and Charlie Kirk were slapped with labels such as do not amplify and search blacklist. It's almost as if that search glitch wasn't a glitch after all. When Dr. J. Bhattacharya, a Stanford School of Medicine professor, argued that COVID lockdowns were harmful to children, he was placed on a, quote, trends blacklist, preventing him from trending on Twitter. They blocked an actual doctor, a professor at the Stanford School of Medicine, and his specialization was health policy, infectious disease, COVID, health economics. But he was not adhering to the narrative, so he got, what was it? A trends blacklist, threading the needle on not shadow banning. According to Gade, shadow banning is a tweet that is undiscoverable by anyone except yourself. So if you're a user, like, and you can go directly to a person's profile where all tweets are visible, then that account isn't being shadow banned, according to Gade. They may not show up in your search or trending lists. They may not even show up in your feed. But since you can see their tweets, if you happen to remember to try and type, like to type out the account's full handle, visit their profile and scroll through their timeline, then, and, and you can see those tweets, then you're, they're not shadow banned. I mean, this is the logic that Gaudé is using. Yet the account owner won't know that their account has been flagged and is not appearing in any of these search or trending lists and are being limited in timelines because it's visibility filtering, not shadow banning. Who decided on visibility filtering? All right, so let's do this. For entertainment and literary purposes, let's picture an organization. The setting is bright, modern. There's people happily buzzing around, sucking down matcha lattes. Within that organization, there is a smaller shadow organization made up of an elite, highly connected group of people that attended some of the best Ivy League universities. And these people sift through content, determining who is worthy of being heard and who is not. So that tiny shadow organization reports to a smaller one, a more elite group that makes the ultimate final decisions on all the important issues when it comes to silencing dissenters. And that, my friends, is how Twitter worked. The implementation of visibility filtering was decided by the Strategic Response Team Global Escalation Team. (sighs) That's a mouthful of a name. Anyways, but if you were a particularly bad boy or girl, because you know there's only two genders, or if you were an account of prominence, your account was then escalated to the Site Integrity Policy Policy Escalation Support. I'm going to call it PEZ, okay? That is comprised of the Head of Legal Policy and Trust, which is Gade, the Global Head of Trust and Safety, Roth, and then subsequent CEOs, Jack Dorsey and uh Argawal, I think was his name, and others. Mind you, none of this information was disclosed in Gade's shadow banning post. So much for transparency, I suppose. Twitter's culture of justifying censorship for the greater good. During the height of the information battle over COVID-19 in 2021, Yoel Roth, global head of trust and safety, messaged an employee on the health, misinformation, privacy, and identity research team. These people seriously need to get some shorter titles and names. Anyways, uh, Roth presented the idea that if exposure to misinformation causes harm, Twitter should do its best to reduce exposure by limiting the spread and the virality of the content. This is the message that he sent. 
One of the biggest areas I'd love research support on is regarding non-removal policy interventions like disabling engagements and deamplification slash visibility filtering. The hypothesis underlining much of what we've implemented is that if exposure to, for example, misinformation directly causes harm, we should use remediations that reduce exposure, and limiting the spread slash virality of content is a good way to do that, parentheses, by just reducing prevalence overall, close parentheses. We just got Jack on board with implementing this for civic integrity. That's like government agencies, government officials, that sort of thing in the near term. But we're going to need to make a more robust case to get this into our repertoire of policy remediations, especially for other policy domains. So I'd love research's point of view on that. Roth, I mean, arguably, or Roth's logic in this case is the same logic that was later applied to the account lives of TikTok, who was suspended on six occasions in 2022 for as long as a week. Each time Libs of TikTok was suspended, she was told it was because she had violated Twitter's policy against hateful conduct, although all she did was republish public TikToks. Like, it's not her fault that people are putting their crazy out there on display. An internal memo from October 2022 tells a different story, where Pez, remember, this is like the small group within the group and that are the ultimate arbiters of who gets the right to speak. Anyways, they admitted that Libs of TikTok did not, quote, directly engage in behavior violative of the hateful conduct policy, but the suspensions were justified because of how others may have responded to her tweets. I mean, that's that's insane, okay? Personally, I just think that's crazy. Conclusion, at Twitter's inception, the mission may have been for people to communicate and express themselves freely. Still, it is clear that the mission or that mission either morphed or only applied to those who were saying the right things, as determined by Twitter's internal ministry of truth. If I wanted to be generous, I would say that Gade massaged the truth a little when confronted with the accusations of shadow banning by narrowly defining it as in, and internally branding it as visibility filtering. But I mean, let's be honest, she just flat out lied. And she used semantics as a defense. Not only have we learned that Twitter at the time was in fact shadow banning, but we also learned how they did it by tagging individual accounts with tags like do not amplify, search blacklist, and trends blacklist. By early 2022, it was proposed to limit the visibility and virality of tweets and accounts, not because they had violated Twitter's terms of service, but because Twitter determined that they could lead others to responding in a harmful or hateful manner. Limiting speech because an opinion could lead others to act in a hateful and harmful manner when an individual is not directly calling for such behavior is the equivalent of thought policing. This demonstrates how Twitter adopted a culture on its own of censoring accounts that it arbitrarily and subjectively deemed harmful and expanded, quote, harm to include the possible behavior of others who consume the content. Such a broad and overlapping definition of harm gave Twitter the license to silence anyone for any reason. And that's the end of Twitter Files for Dummies Part 1. Of course, if you want to get a full thread and coverage on the Twitter files, I highly recommend that you go and you follow Matt Taibbi at his Stubstack. He is the coordinator, primary author, along with other journalists on the Twitter files. So there is going to be a link to his Substack on the post 
to, I guess, show notes or whatever to this episode on my own Substack, itsmissady.com. And if you want to get minute to minute in the moment coverage, then you're not following me on Instagram, then I highly suggest that you go and you follow me on Instagram and make sure that you turn on notifications because Instagram kind of hates me and is uh, allegedly visibility filtering me. I guess that's the new, that's the new term. Anyways, that's it for today. And uh, stay tuned because actually at the same time that I am releasing this, I am also releasing part two, how Twitter and the intelligence community became bedfellows. It's very, very steamy, saucy. Not really. It's, it's just interesting. It's not. Anyway, you know what I mean? So if you want to listen to it, go ahead, move on to the next episode and make sure that you are subscribed to itsmissady.com, the Substack, so you get notifications of brand new episodes every time. And of course, you can find all of my podcasts on any of your major podcasting apps. Okay, I'm done rambling. Go on, have your day, or you know, go on to the next one. I'll see you later.